to be quite vexing. I'm just forewarning you. Something tells me a whole lot of people are about to die. Harley Quinn, nice to meet you. Love your perfume. What is that? The scent of death? <laughs> she seems nice. Hey. What? I saw news. Right, welcome everyone. This is episode 47 of the Comics Emotion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my good friend and co-host, as always, is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hi, Chris, and hi, guys. Welcome to the Comics in Motion podcast. What we like to do here is we like to review media like movies, TV shows, and games that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing the media from the perspective of a longtime comic book fan, and my co-host, Chris, will be reviewing mainly from that media perspective and we'll walk through our given choice of the week and we'll give our different perspectives and thoughts on it. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, I would hit that pause button on the podcast, go and watch it and then come back and then we'll walk through it together. And if you do like listening to the podcast, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, that would be absolutely lovely. That just helps us grow the show, helps us get out to more listeners, and ultimately, that will be really lovely. Speaking of which, we've got a very lovely guest with us tonight. We have Martin Johansson, who is a regular cosplayer as Harley Quinn. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here, honestly. <laughs> I think we're, we're going to jump right into it because we've never had a guest like yourself on before, Martin. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background with uh, comic books and, and comic book characters, first of all? Um, yeah, I think um, I've always loved comic books. Um, I have actually been mostly into Marvel as a um, as a child, um, but I got really into the DC world um, a couple of years back when I lived with my close friend Lucy, who's obsessed with Batman, <laughs> more or less obsessed with Batman. Um, <laughs> So she took me through the whole stories, like all these different Robins, all these different Batgirls, their whole family. And of course, then I got involved in um, the villains as well in the DC world. So I think that that's what really hooked me, um, that kind of darker universe, as much as I absolutely love the more funny, rainbowy styled Marvel at times. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously uh, so chris you're a huge batman fan as well and, yeah. and we blew your mind uh a few episodes ago it's probably about 20 episodes ago now wasn't it so you had no idea there were so many robins running around in the dc universe honestly <laughs> martin you totally had me because i've only ever grew up with you know robin off the batman and robin uh film uh tv yeah. show from the 60s with burt ward playing him and then obviously the terrible chris o'donnell george clooney <laughs> film from the 90s so i, I was totally good because we had jamie on a, a close friend of the show she's obviously has um a, her own sort of screenplay she does and everything which is great and she brought that in and her and dave just took me out of it i was like oh i'm not happy about this one bit you know but but it's all part of the DC universe, and, and I think it's a great little thing as well. And like you say, it's totally different to the sort of sweet and smiling Marvel universe at times. Yeah. Trying to think back now, Chris, weren't you searching for Jason Todd as yeah. the actor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
now, 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 both laughing at me. Yeah. <laughs> Fine, you know. But we, that's that, again. I, I think we talked off air, so that that's part of the premise of our podcast. Is is Chris has been mainly watching the movies. I'm coming from the angle of the comic books, and you know, hopefully, there's going to be other listeners out there who who are in both of those different perspectives. So we just try and walk through and don't don't make any assumptions, but. Martin, so so you got more into the DC universe, uh, into that world. So what drew you towards kind of cosplaying as Harley Quinn? Um, that's probably different things. I got my entire life I've always loved to dress up. That's the thing that I've loved my entire life. Always dressing up for any occasion <laughs> whatsoever. Um and um, I'm an actor. I, I work as an actor. I, I guess I, my profession is to dress up. Um, so I do really like it. Um, so when it came to, when I started cosplaying, I just picked characters that I, I really enjoyed, really liked. Um, and I picked Harley because I've always loved villains. But um, they're, the majority of villains has, up until Harley, been male, <laughs> which there are several reasons for in this universe. Uh -huh. um, and I think what drew me to her is that she was just completely, you know, I, I love a good villain that thinks that he or she isn't a villain. He thinks that whatever they do is the right thing to do. Um, so I think that's what really drew me to her, that she was absolutely batshit crazy and believe 100% <laughs> that she had her all sorted. So, yeah. That's really interesting. So one of the things in, in going through all of these reviews, Chris and I have noticed certain trends, if you like, and a lot of the best villains that we like and enjoy are the ones that think they're the hero in their own story yeah and so like you say harley is is one of those isn't she and i guess when she started out she was more of a villain but she has over time she she has become that anti-hero hasn't she yeah she yeah she she definitely because she teams up with like she kind of follows her all rules of everything she she doesn't care about who is night like the bad guy or the good guy or what side of the law they are. She just teams up with whoever is there and and she kind of enjoys, uh, which is great because sometimes she teams with Batman, sometimes she teams with Catwoman, Joker. Like she goes through all the different characters, so we get so many different like angles and stories with these different characters, which I think is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now. I have to ask you because I mean Chris is Chris went to his first Comic Con. What was it a couple of months ago, Chris? Yeah, it was in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. and I am always way too chicken to cosplay. So I did go did go out in Halloween as the Joker, but I, I, at some point I will cosplay. But I I have to say, you know, hats off to everyone who does it. I think everyone is so fantastic the way they. Obviously, the amount of preparation that goes into it, and you see, you know, everyone's wanting a photograph <laughs> with them. Um, it, it's just, it takes a lot to go out and do it. And I, I just wonder how, so how long have you been doing the cosplay stuff for? Actually, cosplaying, I've only done for like <sighs> a, a year and a half or so, maybe, maybe, maybe two years. Um, I just think for me, it wasn't that big of a, transaction from my normal life not that i like <laughs> Harley Quinn in my normal life um but 
Again, I just, I, I love, I've always made, I've always sold, I've always like made costumes for other occasions, for productions or other theater things. Um, and I just absolutely thought that Comic-Con would be the greatest thing ever. And I, I don't have any shame ever. <laughs> I think that's where it comes from. Um, I think it's probably maybe ADD or ADHD or both. Um, that doesn't give me any of that. But I just think it's such a wonderful thing to be able to, you know, come as you are. That That's the thing I love about Comic-Con. And if you haven't been yet, you should go. And it, you don't have to dress up. You can do whatever because it's such an accepting space um, for anyone who wants to be anything, which I think is remarkable, even though you aren't necessarily the most hardcore comic book fan. And I am not the most hardcore comic book fan. I'm probably very in between you guys that I have a lot from the movies and the media there and then I have some comic books that I've read so you know it's, it's all about come as you are and and connect with some characters or just meet a lot of crazy weird people <laughs> it's funny actually Marty because I'd never been and, and I said to Dave like what was really sort of found really nice at the comic con was and, and we went and sort of like press you know through the through the podcast so it was a slightly people approached me in a slightly different way as soon as yeah. you see that press pass they think oh my god you know i've got and i'm not like that at all dave isn't we're just normal two normal guys who are just you know we we got you know we've, we've got a bit of um a following which is great and they, they trusted us to sort of do the press side of it but it, it was the fact that people who unfortunately normal World walks of life are clusters like geeks, like we are geeks. Like I'm a gaming geek, I'm a, a movie geek, you know, whatever. Dave's a comic geek. We're all some way we have our own thing that we're into, mm-hmm. and it's so nice to see so many people brave enough to actually go out dressed up and not worry about what people are going to say because we live in such a world where everyone. And I thought it was absolutely great, and I was mm-hmm. taking pictures. I was praising people for their outfits. You know, it was just so nice to see. I just thought it was a. Uh, it was such a good atmosphere and everyone's just getting on. No one's judging anyone. And to be fair, if you dressed in what we would call normal clothes, as in I had jeans and a T-shirt and a pair of trainers, I actually looked out of place, which is great. <laughs> it, it, it's what it's all about. And I'll definitely be going again. I had a great experience. Um, yeah, and I think that's what it's all about in the whole crazy world of of fandoms and, and I don't know, sci-fi and fantasy it's about getting that break from reality. And I think Comic-Con is just this little, I don't know, little um, hub of, of like a reality break where, yeah. you know, you, you queue for the toilet and in front of you is Poison Ivy struggling to get the costume <laughs> together. It's, I think it's, it's one of the most wonderful thing and it's for all ages, which is incredible. Um, and a lot of the conventions have free entry for kids. And I think it's, it's just really good, but they also have really, good rules and restrictions for things that can get out of the way kind of when you are doing cosplay because as we know there are a lot of um designs that are maybe not that family friendly (laughs) um, for some of the the costumes um but it's like you know, everyone is behaving, everyone is respectful. And, and to be fair, if you, if you want to, to have your uh, tits and ass out, sorry that, um, then you, you can, you know, like there, you just be whatever you want to be. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what con- con- cons you're going to, Martin, but they might, they might be slightly different to the ones I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> so <laughs> I haven't noticed that so much, but um, yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't been to anywhere that I wouldn't bring my kids along to, but no, yeah. um, I don't go to the wrong ones. <laughs> yeah, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. So as well as Harley, I mean, I, I saw on your Instagram page, you, you're looking for ideas, you know, what, what's coming up next? So what are your thoughts? So hot off the press, what, what are your thoughts for what's coming up next? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually <clears throat> released this kind of officially yet, but it's fine anyway. I don't, I, I'm going to release it here. So ta-ta. Um, well, <laughs> I'm going to cosplay. I've been working on this costume for a while and it takes me a long time because it's a field of... Um, techniques that i'm not that uh, familiar with which is armor in uh-huh. in foam um and my all-time favorite comic book hero is thor so when they released the female thor edition a couple of years back i think two years back um goddess of thunder so that is my new cosplay <laughs> nice so yeah very good very good well to be fair, we're we're you'll probably release this on your Instagram page. We're we're reviewing, uh, we're recording a little bit ahead of when we're going to release the podcast. So I imagine you'll probably announce that on your Instagram page before it'll get out on the podcast. Yeah, maybe I have. We'll take it as an exclusive anyway. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> is one of those things I'm so scared to release because then everyone is just like. Oh, I'm gonna! I can't wait for this amazing costume to be put together. And then I, you know, I, I've started the helmet, and I'm scared shitless. <laughs> but, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure. And, and I, I, you know, I have to say, obviously, you know, you've set the bar quite high with the Harley costume, and and it's like any of the cosplayers. As soon as the bar is set that high, then the next costume that comes along has to be, you know, roughly the same kind of quality as well and again one of the things that with yourself with all the cosplayers the amount of attention to detail and work and effort that goes into it is it's just amazing yeah and i think that can also be in the cosplay community i'm I'm not really that much into maybe the hardcore community i'm trying my best to to keep it up um but it's such a pressure and i think I sometimes have to remind myself that if it's not fun anymore, um, I have to like chill out. Um, Before conventions, I'm always like crazy stressed, Um, you know, for the details, for the makeup, just the the makeup and the hair takes three hours in the morning. So it's, it's one of those things that you just have to wake up at six or seven and, and, and hope that it will work um, out as you planned because you know how it is on the day. You can think mm-hmm. of a million different things that can happen. Um, and I've been stressed and then I just have to tell myself, like, you just love to dress up, Martin, and, like, it's it's that's what you have to focus on. But as you say, it's um, people, as I've gotten more followers, people really love my work and, and people really love my Harley. So it's also the pressure of feeling that I can only do Harley cosplays um but that's not what i wanted always so you know i'm 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 pulling another harley as well next time as well as thor a, a new different harley uh but i don't want to be kind of um trapped in one character because there's so <laughs> many amazing characters that i want to cosplay good stuff now Martin, we're, we're going to um, move on now onto the uh, review section, if that's okay. Um, we've, we've put up a couple of reviews, and myself and Dave will 
uh, read them out in the style of what we think the reviewer is. So if you just indulge us on this one, Dave, I believe it's you first this week. Well, so this is the section where we obviously get the iTunes reviews in pure text, so we have no idea how people actually sound. So we kind of have a little bit of a guess. But I guess peeking behind the curtain, we'll release this on Sunday, but obviously we are recording on Thursday, which is Thor's Day. We do have Martine on as a guest, obviously native of Norway from the <laughs> accent. So it seems rude not to have a go at doing it as Thor. <laughs> I feel like I built that up a bit too much. We are not impressionists, by the way. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. Comic fans, listen up. Great to hear some proper enthusiasts who know what they're talking about. Proper good. And there we go. Thank you very much. That was from Frank Burton, who is also cosplaying as Thor. (laughs) 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 Marvellous. Chris, what delights uh, do we have from yourself? Um, this one's from uh, Number One Rerun, and um, from what I can see, they live in a posh part of London, and it's entitled Bang. I don't know an awful lot about the comic side of comic films, but this podcast filled the gaps in perfectly, full of knowledge and likable hosting. Thank you very much there, Number One Rerun, and uh, keep the reviews coming. <laughs> That's very good. Was that Hugh Grant, that, Chris? I don't know what it was, but it was better than last week's, Dave, anyway. (laughs) You're not wrong there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. So one of the things that we do like to talk about as well, we are part of the Britpod scene as well, which is a collective of British independent podcasts as well. So we're going to play a little ad for you. So we'll be right back with you after this short break. Hello, this is Full Starts Podcast. And we talk about those films that set themselves up for a sequel that never came. Here's an episode condensed into 60 seconds. Please to be enjoy. What's our, what's our poisons then? You get what you're given. That's some foul stuff. Does this film confirm the existence of God? Dum 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 dum. Such a look of confusion on my face here. Yeah, can, can we do a quick mini review of, of 4DX? <laughs> it was so uncomfortable, I had to go sit on the stairs because it was just more enjoyable. And he looks, he looks at the naked lady in front of him and immediately 150 pressurised egg whites shoots all over him. <laughs> egg white. But what, but what was the point in even, even including it? To calm his nerves. Probably but we just don't placebos. need him to calm his nerves. He did. Have, yes, we he did. did. Because why not have shoot him up be calm? <laughs> just <laughs> cut the scene. The film is two hours long. <laughs> Just cut the scene. No. So this was this was a manic time. Yes, this was. I think it's a bit. This is insanity. What happened to us? I, I guess we'll wrap things up. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Just type full stars pod in. Mm, full stars pod in. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind of pod in. That's pretty much how the shows go. We just use that. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, obviously this week we've had having a special guest on, uh, Martin, and with it being Harley Quinn, we thought it was only right to review the 2016 DC film Suicide Squad. So, Dave, what comic background have you got, mate? Thanks, Chris. So initially I wanted to talk a little bit about Suicide Squad, and then it seems rude not to talk a little bit about Harley Quinn. So... The first Suicide Squad actually appeared way back in 1959 in the issue 25 of The Brave and the Bold. Now, the team back then was was really quite different from the team that we know today. So the concept of the government actually using imprisoned, expendable supervillains came much later, and that came in 1987. And basically... This team popped up in the third issue of Legends, uh, which was like a crossover event. And this team was so popular, they ended up later that year in 1987, they got their own titled um, comic book run. Now, there have been various volumes that have run through uh, through the years, sort of started up, been cancelled. And it was actually the fourth volume where Harley Quinn actually first appeared back in 2011. And that was part of DC's uh, what they called New 52 relaunch. So this is where, and Chris, you may remember I, I mentioned this, this is where they were trying to simplify the whole universe because it got all very convoluted and complicated and, and was they felt was stopping you know new comic book readers uh joining in now harley quinn's origins are really quite interesting because she actually first appeared in batman the animated series back in 1992 and it was at paul dini and artist bruce tim who were credited as the creators but also you've got a huge influence called arlene sorkin now she was the first person to actually voice harley in that batman animated series but also the writer had used her as a primary kind of influence of the character as well so arlene had appeared in uh, days of our lives the kind of american tv soap and she appeared in there in a dream sequence in a jester costume and kind of the writer Dini had kind of known her since college. And he just said he, he incorporated bits of her character into Harley Quinn. Now Harley was basically supposed to be the equivalent of a walk on walk off type character, but she ended up being very much uh, a popular character. So they did introduce her in 1993 into the comics as well. So she came in in the Batman Adventures number 12. And she appeared in various books after that. But she wasn't introduced into true DC continuity until 1999. So same year as The Matrix and Phantom Menace came out. So... In, in for me fairly recently and there she appeared in batman harley quinn number one so i must admit chris i hadn't realized until i went back and looked at it she went quite a long way in terms of being this peripheral character that you know popped up in these side books that weren't really in continuity and eventually she's come into the continuity and then I've made the parallels before so i think in the dc universe it's harley quinn that has just over the last sort of 10, 20 years has got more and more popular in the Marvel universe. It's Deadpool, you know, in that same timeline, the pair of them have just got more and more popular in, in terms of the comic books and now kind of in the, in the wider populace as well. 
So, Chris, have you got any movie background? I have indeed, Dave and Martin. I've got um, the film was in initial development by a producer, uh, Dan Lynn, in 2009. Stephen Gilchrist is co-producer with Justin Marks. And then David Ayer signed on to direct the film five years later in 2014, September. Casting-wise, a bit up and down, actually. In October 2014, they had the initial lineup for the film was Ryan Gosling, who was actually playing the Joker, Tom Hardy um, was in the film, uh, Michael Robbie, Will Smith, and they were they were actually all in the film. And then Tom Hardy had to pull out due to The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. So he pulled out, um, and that's where he was going to play Rick Flagg. <clears throat> so that sort of messed it up. And then Ryan Gosling ended up pulling out as well, and they went with Jared Leto as the Joker, which I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about all three of us later. Um, <laughs> I can hear you laughing there, Martin. Um, <laughs> but the one thing with Leto's Joker, to be fair, him was um, a bone of contention with him was the fact that there was a lot of scenes cut. Now, I know I'm quite a, a bit of a fan of the film, he's, and I've got it uh, for when it came out and reading a lot of the stuff online, and that is, and the initial cut of the film felt more like a Joker Origins film, not the Suicide Squad. They were almost like peripheral figures. So they cut a lot of it out and just making the Joker as a sort of plot device for Harley Quinn. And Leto was really, really upset by that which may have taken something away from the film. Um, Marketing-wise, in 2015, at the San Diego Comic-Con, there was a massive leak. So we had, like, Will Smith, uh, Margot Robbie was there, um, the producers, directors, and they, they aired a trailer, but someone decided to film it and put it online. So the next day, Warner Bros. had to then release this trailer, which was supposed to be just for the Comic-Con fans as, like, a bit of a thank you, you know, for turning up and supporting supporting him and that. Um, but it sort of messed up with all the marketing around the film then. Critically, uh, critically, financially, in the box office, it made a lot of money and it made, it did really well. Um, overall budget was $175 million. Um, by the end of play, it made $746 million. So it was a great success. In the US, it made $325 million alone, 421 across all of the territories. So it was a great success, which was always going to bore uh, bear a sequel. Uh, critically, film got absolutely slated, which is quite um, interesting. Uh, even the director, David Ayer, actually said that there was quite a lot of the elements that he wished he'd done differently on the final sort of um, release. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 28%. That's at 341 reviews, um, with a user average of around about 4.8 out of 10. On Metacritic, it fares a bit better. It's 40 out of 100. That's based on 53 reviews. But the actual, again, which is something that's becoming more prevalent, especially with the Bohemian Rhapsody film that's out at the moment, the actual audience reviews are a lot better than the critics' reviews. It's at 73%, which mm-hmm. is above average of positive scores. So, again, whatever we're going to give it at the end of this, I think it's one of these films, if you haven't watched it, watch it, you know, just watch it, make up your own mind. Uh, now, what's interesting, Dave and Matty, considering it got such bad review scores, it actually won some Academy Awards, and it's the first DC extended universe film to actually win an Academy Award. It won it for um, best makeup and hairstyling, um, because obviously it's probably to do with Harley Quinn and that as well, but really, that's really interesting. And it also won a, uh, had a Grammy nomination award. Um, it won a Critics' Choice Award, and it won People's Choice Award as well. So I find that quite bizarre considering you know, the sort of negative uh, critics review on it. That doesn't usually translate over into these sort of awards, does it? It's got to be sort of a media darling to win something. 
Um, <clears throat> one of the last bits as well, which is quite interesting, is there's definitely going to be a sequel. In March 2016, they said it's definitely coming out. Uh, Aya was back on board. Will Smith was back on board. Uh, Michael Robbie, um, the same cast. But they've shelved it now until 2019 while Will Smith and I work on sort of separate projects. Um, and there is confirmation, rightly or wrongly, that Jared Leto will be back as the Joker, which we will get into as we watch this thing. Um, <laughs> we have discussed this off, uh, off air before we came on. The only positive I can see about this uh, being put back to 2019 is the newly fired uh, Marvel ex-director, James Gunn. He's now on to direct the sequel from Guardians of the Galaxy. So I think that's, and he's actually um, started to write it as well. So I also think that's going to be interesting and I think a lot better. And they actually talk like it might be R-rated as well, which, which could actually bring the Suicide Squad up, I think, for the sequel. So, yeah. Well, also, I mean, I mean, yeah, huge amount of respect for James Gunn, and I'm sure he'll do a great job. But also, Dave Batista's thrown his hat in the ring as well, hasn't he? Yeah, literally as well. He has because he's supporting James Gunn because of all the controversy. Um, there is spin-offs. There's going to be um, Harley Quinn and uh, uh, Floyd Lawton, Deadshot, uh, separate origin films as well. But again, they've been shelved. They're not sure whether they're going to bring them out before the sequel or after after if it's going to be 2019. But I do think, to be fair, not revealing my cards too quickly, they are the two strongest characters in the film, so it's only right, really, that they get their own sort of uh, origins films to sort of uh, flesh out their characters. And now, Martina, I'm not putting you under any pressure, but is there anything else you want to add to what I've uh, threw out there? <laughs> um, there are rumours that they're making the Sirens of Gotham as well. Um, which is uh, the uh, Harley Ivy Catwoman, which uh, which might might be cool. They're doing either that or like a Harley Ivy Black Canary, uh, but they're they're thinking of an all female kind of villain adventure movie. Oh, that's good. They should be as well. Uh, that would be great, and I'm not sure if now is the right time to speak about it. But I just hope they remain consistent with the ca- with the actors who are playing the characters. Yeah. So you know, if they're gonna do it with Harley Quinn, surely it has to be Margot Robbie. Until she gives up playing Harley Quinn, it should only be Margot Robbie for me. I do agree. I do agree. So I, I just. I, I hope that goes through. There's also Birds of Prey, isn't there? That's yeah. That's going to uh, potentially come out. So th- there's so much stuff that's in the works, and I, it, we're flooded by information that, you know, thing projects that might happen. I very confidently predicted, didn't I, Chris? Yeah. You know, the, that the Black Widow movie, I'm pretty sure will not happen because it's been talked about for years and literally the next week it was confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going for accurate information, don't listen to us. But uh, Martin, you probably got your finger on the pulse a bit more than us. Well, I, I'm just excited that, you know, they never actually confirmed these things. But uh, my my theory and what I hope maybe is that Margot Robbie's going to take that female movie under her production company um, because she has a company that um, fronts female leads and scripts and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that might be a movie with her as Harley where she kind of wants to uh, have something to do with it. So Margot Robbie, if you're listening, <laughs> of course, why wouldn't she? Um, do that, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> 
Margot Robbie, if you're listening, totally available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure she's not listening. But no. <laughs> she, she needs a dodgy um, you never know. Batman impersonator. I'm your man. <laughs> Okay, so is that all the movie news, Chris? It is indeed. Excellent. Should we go into our review? Let's go for it. Okay, so we open up and we almost get straight in there with the creation of Task Force X, don't we? We get almost like a rocky montage of introduction of characters. So we get some dialogue, some exposition. We get this character, Amanda Waller, and she's basically making a pitch that Superman's dead now. Spoilers, (laughs) (laughs) if you don't know that. Um, So Superman's dead, and we know there's going to be threats from, uh, you know, that previously Superman would have dealt with. So we need a new way of thinking. And so we need to put this task force together. And so we get one after the other. We get introduced to characters, don't we? And the first one is Deadshot. So what do you think about that Deadshot introduction? Well, I'm a massive Will Smith fan going back to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air days. So it's going to take an absolute turkey for me of a film for me not to be invested in him as an actor. I think Will Smith's a great actor. And I do, as again, you know, Martin, obviously with me, I have no information on any of these characters other than Harley Quinn when he used to watch the old Batman stuff in the uh, Kevin Conroy, you know, Mark Hamill uh, stuff in the 90s. I have no backgrounds to the comics, so I don't know who Deadshot is at all, but it's Will Smith looking pretty slick uh, in prison. Obviously, he's getting absolutely, you know, decimated by these guards. In and I must admit, though, the guard is a bit of a... I don't know. The it's a bit, he plays it up a bit too much, that guard, doesn't he? Is tool the right word you're looking for? <laughs> he is a tool, isn't he? I mean, he's an, he plays it well because he just, you know, you hate him, don't you? He's just an absolute moron and you just love to hate him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. He's a tool. But I do like Will Smith and I think the Deadshot character, again, you know, he's doing a bit of boxing in and stuff and it's sort of like, you know, let's go for it, but let's bring it on and, they give him a bit of a kicking, don't they, to show he's he's a tough badass sort of thing. What about yourself, Martin? Um, no, I agree with you. Actually, I I really like Deadshot. I don't have that much um, comic book history in him. I I've seen him a couple of times in in comics, but never as like a main character. And I I I think he's one of the the best characters in in Suicide Squad. And and I really like the way Will Smith plays him because. Uh, for people as well that doesn't know the comics or anything, you very easily just um, kind of connect with this character, which yeah. uh, which is great. Yeah, I and I think, you know, if I'm to be unkind, I would say this is Will Smith playing Will Smith. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's just always the same. Yeah. But you just cannot help but warm to him. And I don't think it is just about Will Smith. It, it's about what he's doing as well. So you get to see that he's he's a hitman, so he's going to take someone out. And he can play hardball as well. So the person who's hired him is trying to mess him around with the money. But, you know, he, he can he can negotiate on the fly as well under a pressure situation. And then you also get to see, you know, the very human side 
that he obviously really cares for his daughter as well. Mm. You know, and I think it, it's not just about Will Smith. It, I think the character is written quite well. Mm. And again, it's a sweet moment. He's there with his daughter. You get the impression, you get some dialogue, don't you, that uh, the mother doesn't come off too well about it. You know, the daughter's talking about it. It's okay. I can, I can take care of her. And, I, you know, Will Smith's like, or Deadshot's like, well, that's not how it's supposed to work. Um, and then I think I was, I was trying to cast my mind back and I, I guess if I Googled it for five minutes, but is this the first time we see Ben Affleck as Batman? Mm, no, no. Cause Batman V Superman's been was on Batman before, v Superman before this, was it? Yeah. Cause oh, Superman's, of course. Superman's yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is why we should do them in order, but <laughs> 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 when he popped up, I was thinking, Oh, I wonder if that's the first time, but, no, lo- lovely little cameo, and I, I don't know. He he gets a a bit of stick, doesn't he, Ben Affleck? But I do think he, I think he looks pretty good as Batman. I think that my, maybe a lot of comic book people are going to absolutely hate me now, but he's my favorite Batman on oh. screen. On screen, he's my favorite Batman. So um, yeah. <laughs> so so Martin. I don't know about I don't know yeah. about comic books, but I think you might have just got Chris's backup because Christian Bale. <laughs> cannot do any wrong despite ridiculous accents <laughs> well i'll try i'll try and do it justice but all i'm going to say to you is martin i totally disagree um, <laughs> because he, he's the man i think i think the problem is because they're trying to evolve the character that he's a bit older mm-hmm. and obviously because christopher nolan in my personal opinion anyway christopher nolan's batman was just so good in them trilogies i have a hard time with ben affleck and i also think to be fair to him, in the Justice League, the absolutely cheap in Batman, so he's absolutely a peripheral, weak yeah. uh, superhero, which I really hate because Batman and Superman are my two favourite superheroes. Superman's my favourite, then it's Batman. But I just felt in Justice League, the real, that human element they're bringing to him, where he's not indestructible. So we know he's not he's a human being with gadgets, and he's just a rich guy with gadgets who's brave and has this, um, you know, this drive and that is. I don't know it I don't know what it is, but in this sort of uses, I'm not a big fan of him, unfortunately, Martin. So <laughs> we're gonna agree on that, but I'm not doing that voice again. People that um agree with you, and I think it comes down to first of all, the Batman series for Christopher Nolan is uh, art. I worship them, I think they're amazing. Um, but I when it comes to the comic books as well, I always enjoyed reading the old, bitter, grungy, heavier Batman. <laughs> he the bitter old Bruce Wayne with all the Robins have left him and he messes up with his family. That was always my favorite Batman. So I, I think that's why I, I enjoy the little weird Ben Affleck situation. And you're completely right in Justice League, which I am glad we're not reviewing another movie I'm not very fan of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't done well. He he gets put in that position and and I agree with you with that. Yeah. It's a shame, but yeah, his it's, it's opinions made the world go round. It's it's a it's a good call, to be fair, and and obviously from uh, Ben Affleck's little section, he arrests obviously Floyd, and then we get introduced to my favourite character in the whole film, Harley Quinn. <laughs> and I love the music again. The music's brilliant. The introduction of her, I think me and David said this before we we record this. Um, I said the actual music's fantastic in this film. I think it's so well put together. It's brilliant. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, Martin, what, what's your perspective on that introduction to Harley Quinn? Because, I, I, again, from the comic book perspective, the character had been around a long time. There was a huge amount of anticipation to seeing Harley Quinn on the on the big screen. So, I mean, what was your perspective of that? I do think that um, from the very first shot of her, Margot Robbie embodies that character so well. I think it's such a good Harley. Um, and I, it was everything that I wanted for her, um, you know, completely mental, uh, <laughs> very beautiful, but also, also like, you know, matters uh, a box of frogs. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. Um, and the scene where she kind of, uh, one of the things I really love is because she's actually so mental that she isn't always kind of the most intelligent. I mean, she is very intelligent, mm-hmm. but when when kind of her mentalness grasps her too much like when she runs into the cage and like <laughs> crashes her head or like it's i just think i love you know i think margaret Robbie does an amazing job and i think the soundtrack for opening for her there in the cage is amazing and it's something that i can definitely see harley quinn doing if yeah. she was in that cage um because you know she's all about fun and and wackiness so i i really love it and i do think they blew so much of their money on the soundtrack in this movie um because one thing that is great is the soundtrack <laughs> so yeah it is isn't it and and actually just picking up on that i was quite surprised a lot of the music choices are great but they don't let any of the tunes hang for for very long at all they they sort of play you know, a particular song, they're playing a bit of the Rolling Stones there, they're playing a bit of Black Sabbath later on. We get a bit of Eminem later on when all the team gets together. They they never let a song play out for too long. And then they're on to another. And and so I agree, they must have paid a lot in royalties. <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what they how it feels like they're trying to do is that in other um epic movies when you have a score made by um uh, you know a, a movie composer mm-hmm. it's very common that every change of everything um scenery characters whatever comes in with a different bit of a score and a melody but because it's like an underlying music we you don't pay attention to it as much um as an audience but if they but they kind of did the same thing with normal tracks which is very interesting um so we, of course, can hear it when Eminem switches into something else, switches into something else. Um, but it's kind of just how they did that with contemporary or like modern music, which is a cool twist, I think. Yeah, no, I, co- I completely agree. And I think also out of this uh, introduction to Harley, se- Harley scene, you also get, again, to underline what I was saying before, that the main kind of prison guard who the, the camera's definitely given a lot of screen time to is is just an absolute tool, isn't he? You know, he's he's been a tool to Deadshot. He's now being a tool to Harley Quinn. And I agree, when, when she runs into the into the iron bars i mean that that's pretty <laughs> brutal to knock herself out it's a bit shocking but i mean then we get introduced to el diablo he's actually the third one that that comes along and so we get an introduction to him so what do you reckon to that chris um i, I think to be honest i don't know about you guys i think when when you've got you've you've actually introduced the two probably most famous and influential characters 
I'm not, I don't know why, but I haven't got that connection with the rest of the group at all, if I'm being honest. I'm only interested in, in Deadshot and Harley Quinn, maybe because of the actors and the actress, you know, that I know and I'm familiar with. Um, obviously, uh, Captain Boomerang, he's, he's out of Die Hard. He's, he's Bruce Willis's son. He's John McClane's son in uh, it's Die Hard 5 in Russia. But other than that, I wasn't that, I don't know, I just wasn't that convinced by them. I think the 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 between I don't know if it's the writer, the director, the editor, but certainly between the three of them, we are in no doubt that Deadshot and Harley Quinn are the stars of this movie, aren't they? Yeah. You know, and so we have El Diablo, Captain Boomerang, who still makes me laugh. I mean, you've got you've got all these people with the various superpowers and, and uh character traits and whatever, and you've got a guy who throws a boomerang. But okay. Um, and then you get Killer Croc as well. You can see there must be a good health plan uh, if you're working to, to fish him out. Yeah. And you also get introduced to, to Slipknot. And then also the, uh, the wild card in the bunch is the Enchantress. You know, and this makes up our Suicide Squad. So this group of villains who we're going to be entrusting with uh, going out on various missions that other people don't want to go out on and uh, and executing them. That's for sure. And I think one of the reasons why um, you automatically love Harley and Deadpool as much um, because, the, you know, you know, the actors and all the things you said, but if they get like a solid five to eight minutes each on their backstory. And then yeah. the rest of the group together has like three minutes, <laughs> like the rest of them. So I feel like it's a bit like, Oh, guys, oh, we're taking too long with this introduction. Let's just... Uh, wrap <laughs> Here we go, um, and we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good point, actually. And I think that might be why there's not the investment in the characters, because you, you, there wasn't enough fleshed out of them, was there? I know later on we get into that but with them, but at that point, I think that's quite a crucial point in the film, and you are correct. It, it seems to cheapen them, really. Yeah. <laughs> So I think uh, just to take a brief aside and, you know, again, cards on the table. I've said this many times on the podcast. I can't help but lean towards the Marvel side of it more, both from the comic books and also the movies. So, you know, I know I probably have some inbuilt bias, but to me, it feels like the whole introduction to this movie is like we don't have time to actually watch you, the viewer, you know, let you, the viewer, experience and understand for yourself who these characters are. So we're just going to give it to you. We're just going to throw it down your throat. And, and there's no thinking required on your side. We're going to tell you exactly what you need to know to watch this movie. Yeah. So on the Marvel side, there's a, there's a team called the Thunderbolts. Now, they came out probably 10, 12 years after Suicide Squad, so there's no question that was a copy <laughs> from the Marvel side, you know, from the DC side. I would like to think if the Thunderbolts ever made it to the big screen, that is because they've been on some 10-year journey, and then suddenly, you know, they get together, I don't know, Loki, maybe bring him back to the dead, and, you know, all the characters that we've already learned about across a series of movies all come together. Whereas this seemed just rushed to me. Yeah. 
that's that's completely true and and that's the whole like marvel dc battle from day one you know they, they've they've tried to kind of beat each other and find their own position in the comic book world um you know before dc took a dark turn they were more colorful than marvel have ever been mm-hmm. if you think about 60s batman you know like um nothing beats that um so I think they're just in a rush as 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 DC had a massive success with the with the Dark Knight series. Um, then kind of Marvel just lashed onto their crazy Avenger journey through everything there. And DC on the other side kind of went, guys, we have to get something out there with a lot of characters. You know, they were working on Justice League, but, you know, so it's exactly what you're saying. They just literally went, we don't have time for this backstory. Marvel is already years ahead. We just need to throw all these characters in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's your perspective, Chris? I think I pretty much agree with you guys. I, I just think it's uh, it's an interesting introduction of also and a very hard sell on characters we've never seen before on the screen. Mm. Does that make sense? Like you, you, yeah. you know, obviously we know they, they're bringing a bit of Batman. They're bringing the Flash to try and flesh out that you know it's within the realms of that world. Mm. But to be honest, even with Will Smith, it's a hard sell. As much as I like Floyd, I like Deadshot. I, I find it, it's an interesting way they've brought them into it. Uh, I, I, and I don't know whether they maybe should have used a bit more of the Joker to sort of validate who they are and maybe some sort of crossover fight or some sort. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's an odd start to the film. As much as I love the music and uh, Harley and stuff, it's a very, very odd start to the film. I wish they'd take their time over these movies, just in general. I'm still enjoying the movie at this point. You know, I'm enjoying the way they throw it all in, but it does all feel a little bit rushed. And when they are, you know, we get our introduction to all these characters, we find out, you know, Amanda Waller's got a a wish, you know, she's going to assemble this team. And basically they're getting injected with these nanite bombs. So that's how they're going to keep them under control, essentially. And what I thought was, as much as I'm loving the music choice, when you see Harley being wheeled across and then she's given the, the nanite bomb in her, in her neck, what he's playing is Black Sabbath's Paranoid. <laughs> I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm going along for it. And, I'm, and then I'm thinking, well, it's not really that paranoid, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You're getting injected with a nanite bomb in your neck. There's no paranoia there. It's you. It's all justified what you're thinking. So, but anyway, I, I uh, very very nitpicking there. So what I would say is, uh, and I mentioned the wild card in the bunch was the enchantress, and I have to say I don't really like this actress. If I'm honest, um, very pretty lady, but I don't know what it is about her on screen. But uh, just don't really like her performance but essentially she goes rogue doesn't she and you know amanda waller she thinks she's got her under control because she's got her heart you know in a little case there and so she'll she'll destroy that if she needs to but she ends up escaping and going to uh, uh release her her brother incubus who is not the California rock band, but uh this demon and uh they go to attack midway city we get to the midway seat. We get to like a weird subway section, don't we? Where people are all waiting for the underground and, and we get this like binding of bodies, don't they? They all try and resuscitate this guy who's at the deck. And the next minute we get this, <laughs> I've got to say, it's a very strange 
way of doing it, but very clever as well, is you, you they sort of, in one sequence, bind about four bodies together, don't they, to sort of yeah. give Incubus this... Um, He's got like these long talons, Annie, he? and he's, he's just like grabbing people and killing them and taking them out. He's taking the electricity in it from the trains, and um, very interesting. And the next minute, he just goes on an absolute rampage, doesn't he? And um, it sort of forces the government and that's Hans and Wallace Hans to get the Suicide Squad together, don't we? And we we get the old classic Eminem, you know, uh, two trailer park girls go around the outside song, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but that the music again is great. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense, but it just fits with getting the Suicide Squad together. And, and obviously, one thing Dave's mentioned, Martin, which I think uh, I think it's quite. If you don't mind me mentioning, Dave, is it is with Harley and the way the film's portrayed. There is a slight. Uh, direction towards her, which is verging on sleazy, really, as the characters. Does that make sense? The men seem quite lecherous towards her. I don't know whether that's a part to pulling off from the sort of comics and that, but um, we get a lot of innuendo with her, don't we, throughout the film? Both Chris and myself have got daughters. And I guess I'm re-watching this. I don't remember thinking this the first time, but obviously, I mean, Margot Robbie, she's gorgeous, isn't she? Yeah. Um, but it's and it's not so much you know the camera shots of her or whatever it's the way the men around her behave so when she's going through i love the fact that she opens up her little costume suitcase there and she's got the old the original harley quinn outfit there and you know she's all very excited i love the bit where she's saying you know what's that kill everyone around Oh, don't worry. It's just the voices. No, no, I'm kidding. That's not what I really said. Just absolutely brilliant. And I have to say, she had a lot of the best lines in the movie, and I don't think it was by accident at all. But it jarred with me. I didn't like when she's obviously, she's putting a a T-shirt on, and then the camera pans out, and all of the men around are obviously just, just stood there watching her get dressed. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, that is a, a like a, a big box to open. Uh, but um, Harley is a sexualized character in in since the animated series. She's 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 always been. But the difference, I think, is that she takes the power back. Um, she is she is objectified because she is a beautiful woman, and a lot of the ways that she used to get the Joker's attention is through her body just is through her mm-hmm. she uses it as a weapon so when it's used in in that situation where she knows what she can get from it you know what i mean like she she knows how to how to work it and 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 what she can get from it it's kind of fine because she's owning it but that scene is just about people kind of staring at a woman mm-hmm. which is weird and i don't even think harley and that's very well done with the whole script i don't even think harley when she said like you know um what is it or like she she's questioning what they're doing because she actually doesn't get it like what 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 is it like i'm not playing any game here now you know yeah 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 Um, i think the way of doing it is to get the audience well for me i automatically just think that all the horrendous soldier people are just uh, douchebags uh, so if you kind of want to make yourself hate characters, I guess that's the way of doing it. Um, 
But yeah, it's a bit of a weird scene. And I knew it was going to be something like that in there because, and I'm sad that they did that uh, because it's Margot Robbie and all that kind of stuff, um, that they had to do a scene like that. Um, So I was expecting it, but I was Mm -hmm. sad to see it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, it's... You, you are correct, and I think, like Dave said, Dave explained it a bit better than I, I did. But I think it's it's not something where I've gone away thinking, oh, my God, that's terrible. No, but In yeah. the same respect, it's not right, you know. And, and I think it's a superhero film, isn't it? You know, we're, we're not going down the Deadpool route. Now, Deadpool basically alludes to all sorts of stuff, doesn't it, because it's R-rated, it, it gets away with it. It's just... It is. I think. I think you're you both correct. It's just one of them things. It's a bit unnecessary, really. You know, we can see by the sort of flashbacks that we're having at this point around the Joker, aren't we? And the way she's um, the guy in the in the club who's obviously some gangster, and the Joker says to him, like, you know, you can have my girl and all this, and you can see she uses that to entice people in, and the next minute he's getting killed in it and stuff, you know. And it's all it's all a play between them. So I think. I think it's also to do with the way it's a bit messy at the start and the fact that they're trying to cram in so much depth into these characters and it's not really coming off. It's sort of going from one thing to another, in my opinion, anyway. It sort of seems to be a bit of a mishmash of different scenes and that to try and uh, fi- uh, flesh out who they are. I do agree, and I don't mind the whole... Um, because in, in the superhero world, a lot of the male and female characters are quite objectified in the way that they're drawn. You know, they're in human bodies. That is very hard to look like that in real life. And there are shots in this movie showing Will Smith with, you know, boxing, sweating. You know, he's also objective like yes. in, in some shots. But the difference is um, no one is staring at him. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I completely agree. I don't mind at all the shots where Harley is clubbing and stripping and it's in her power. It's her power. Uh, but that shot that you're talking about is just perving, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which yeah, is yeah, different. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, they should, you know, glorify both male and female bodies in the way that they do Will Smith and as they do Harley. But that is an unnecessary shot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that it is a brilliant way you've described it, though. So it, when they're in the club, you're right. That is absolutely her being empowered, and she has that control. But in just that line to say, you know, what? You know, it it, it just completely invalidates all of that. So, no, it's, it's a really good point, and I, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Can I just say at this point, because we are getting these flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. I hate Jared Leto as the Joker. I just, I am usually on the fence and fairly diplomatic, but this is just rubbish. I mean, from Cesar Romero, you know, through the various Jokers that we've had, you know, I've put my cards on the table. For me, Heath Ledger is the Joker, unless you consider the animated stuff. And okay, Mark Hamill would be up there because I think his voice acting is fantastic. But for me the the joker character he's just crazy you know and that's why he's so unpredictable and you just can't figure out what he's going to do next this version of the joker he's just a gangster he's like a goodfellas joker he's just nasty he's a i i agree with you i hate this joker <laughs> i think it is the worst and i think it's cringy to watch like 
honestly, I, I look at, and Jared Leto have, have done great things in his career and, and that's not necessarily to do with him. Um, of course, I just think that he, I know for a fact that Jared Leto is a bit of a method actor, as, as they say. He mm-hmm. yeah. is very invested in his characters in, into the way that, you know, he, he becomes the character more than anything. Um, as studying acting myself, um, there are different methods to acting. And one of the techniques is method acting, which is a, a an actual acting technique. And there are so many different discussions in the industry if, if that is a healthy thing, not a healthy thing, you know. So people have different opinions. So I'm not saying that that's not a good way of acting. Um, but he, I just feel like, you know, he he went too far. I don't know, <laughs> to create something that doesn't read on screen. I don't understand uh, w- anything. <laughs> yep. I'm very confused. <laughs> No, I agree. Well, I agree with both of you. I think, like you've just said, the method acting, obviously Robert De Niro was one of the best method actors. You know, you look at uh, totally different characters he played, Jake LaMotta, The Godfather, everything. He, he engrossed and, and researched and even went working, doing certain things like bo- the boxing and stuff, and he said LaMotta. But Jared Leto went full on uh, just basically trying to copy uh, Heath Ledger, and apparently on set he was an absolute arse with people. Like he was sending presents to him when it was the birthdays and that as the joker with joker things and he wouldn't speak to anybody he was just an absolute nightmare he's probably a really really nice guy but he 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 just went full-on parody of Heath Ledger thinking well I've got to go uh, and isolate myself like Heath Ledger did you know and and it just doesn't come across I mean I don't think his outfits are right I think his haircut's wrong the teeth I don't know what's going on there. It's almost like a, 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 the Johnny Rotten side of Heath Ledger's uh, Joker, which we we alluded to in our episode when we, we talked about the research and that, who, who he basically based on Pete Doherty out of the Libertines, Johnny Rotten. Um, I don't know what he was going for. He just, if he didn't have the white face paint on, obviously it's supposed to be like an acid bath or whatever it is. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have said that was the joke. And like Dave has got a great impression of his laugh, haven't you, Dave, if you don't mind uh, throwing it out there? Just <laughs> well, it, it's usually best when I just throw it in ad hoc, uh, you know, uh, but I, I feel the pressure now. But <laughs> when we were doing it before Martin joined the call, I, uh, I'll try and do it. I'm, I'm smirking, so it's probably not going to come off. But it's just that leery kind of, ah, ah, ah. That's pretty good, that Dave. <laughs> good. It's good, but you are correct, both of you. I think, I think the thing is because they deleted so many scenes from what we found out. What you know after the film came out and he got such a pan in, is it might have helped him with the Joker. Now, one thing that also stands out a lot: this film's obviously a couple of years old. Is if they're going to do a sequel with him mm. as the Joker, why are they doing a wacky in Phoenix origin? Joker, who's obviously older than Jared Leto and he's going to look older on screen. Why would you have these two characters working within the DC universe? All right, they might not be within the same film universe, but they are within the same thing. And I don't know whether there's any, why would you not go with Joaquin Phoenix? We haven't seen his Joker yet, but I'm pretty certain it's going to be a lot better than this uh, version of the Joker. Uh, Yeah, it's just, it's so messy. (laughs) They're making it so messy for themselves. Um, especially if they want to kind of keep up with Marvel as well, that what they have to do is to keep consistent casting and and get characters through movies that you connect with. Um, so it's really, really strange that they're doing that decision. Um, and I just have a feeling, as I told you before, that the reason for Jared Leto being in this new movie is 
because of uh, contracts and laws and people being sued <laughs> more or less like i <laughs> i very much feel like he's trying to kind of get his screen time back and yeah. And I feel bad for Jared Leto as well because um, the issue with the whole Suicide Squad coming to the screen is, of course, you're introducing, as you said earlier, so many characters that have never been introduced before. Mm -hmm. Um, And Joker doesn't actually have anything to do with Suicide Squad, uh, more or less. Um, But how do you introduce Harley Quinn without introducing Joker? Yeah. So that's it's so so they made it so hard for themselves in this movie. Um so that balance is really hard and and he um I feel bad, you know, coming from an actor as well if I, you know, sometimes you do film stuff that gets completely cut out of movies and and that is annoying. <laughs> so so I do understand that. Um so yeah, I I feel bad for him as well but I, it's it's really just a shit joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't sum it up any better. Any better. I think be I think that's the quote of the episode that Marty. Let's just <laughs> let's not skate around the around the houses here. It's just shit. Basically, yeah. Let, let's let's just go with that. <laughs> Completely agree. But we'll put that as the actual um, bio. Marty said it's shit. And that's it. That's the end of it. Yeah. Let's move <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> so Anyway, we get all of the the squad is assembled, and we also get Katana introduced to the team. Again, we thought we had a small amount of backstory from everyone else, and Katana gets even less, doesn't she? She just yeah. gets chucked onto the, uh, onto the helicopter there. But again, I, I just think, you know... Um, Harley just has some of the best lines there when she comes on, doesn't she? You know, oh, what is that smell? You know, is, is it the aroma of the stench of death or whatever a line is? Just absolutely brilliant. And she's like, she seems nice. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's, it's great. And it's when Katana comes on. I remember when I watched the movie, um, when they introduced her, they basically just do, and by the way, here's a girl called Katana, and she's going <laughs> to join you guys when they're in the helicopter. Yeah. And then go, okay, uh, sure. Uh, and then she says some kind of random stuff about the souls of her victims being trapped in a sword, and you just kind of go, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Which is very sad because she has a really like powerful backstory that is really brutal. Um you know, so it's just a bit like you just kind of go, uh, you don't care for any of the characters except for maybe um, Harley and, and you know, um, Will Smith being Will Smith. Yeah. So um, that's that's sad because there are cool characters in it. So, yeah. It, it's, sorry, go, go ahead, Chris. Oh, no, sorry. I, I think as well is, I think you, you're looking at these characters and, and we've mentioned this before, Martin, on the podcast, which is, it's true. You know, she's an Asian lady. She's called Katana, obviously, which is a sword and that. And it's just like she's just the generic sword fighter. You've got it in the X-Men, like the Wolverine origin film. Um, the same thing. These are the characters in that, in the, from the Marvel Universe, exactly the same, you know. Uh, and it, it's like Katana, you know, give us a bit more. Well, you know that she's a samurai expert. That's it. You, you're actually, they're actually throwing it in front of you that you've got to actually stereotype this character because they think we haven't got time to give you any background 
And you just know that she's, because she's called Katana, she's going to be a sword specialist. I know it sounds daft, but they're actually sort of foregoing that straight away as if to say, we kept, we've given up now. That's just her. She's good with a sword. Deal with it. And it's really yeah. bizarre. And that's why my question is, why is she in the movie? <laughs> You've just taken the words out of my mouth. I do not understand that. What does she add to the story? I can't, I can't understand it other than... I, I wonder if there's like a producer input to this. You know, when 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 they have the rights for so you know, and they have the rights for so long, and then they have to show that they're showing them in a the movie. Mm. You know, uh, so our last episode is all around the 1994 unreleased Fantastic Four movie, mm. and that was a whole weird legal thing. I, I just wonder if it's something like that because there is zero need for her to be in this movie for me. She has no function. Actually, in the movie, no function whatsoever. Um, yeah. Which is so sad for a character to be yeah. written in and have zero function, uh, similar to Killer Croc. Uh, yeah. Zero function. <laughs> <laughs> no function whatsoever. Um, they actually write in... Uh, we can take it when we go later into the plot, but they basically write in a tiny little scene for him where he is useful. Like yeah. he, I just don't understand if you don't have time for all the characters, please just cut them because yeah. we're, you know, we're not going to miss them. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good yeah absolutely. very good point. Good yeah. point. And I think, um, I mean, uh, just making a parallel to something like Deadpool, that script the f for the first movie was so tight yeah. and, you know, probably born out of necessity. And as he as he turns to the camera at one point and says, "It's it's as if we can't afford any more characters," um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> but there is nothing gone to waste there. Yeah. Whereas you just feel there's a lot left on the table, you know, with with the characters in this story for me. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. Now, obviously, we get our favourite security guard. Um, he's out in a nightclub. He's got what can only be described as a Miami Vice white suit on enjoyed himself and um he gets taken in by the joker and his henchmen don't you who, who uh use him to sort of facilitate where the uh, nanite bombs are and sort of blackmail him don't they because of his debts and stuff and sort of threatening him as they're going to kill him and and also this is also to get at harley as well again unnecessary like you said dave i think you're so right it doesn't feel like a joker type scenario does it you know it feels just like he's he's just flexing a bit of muscle gangster style like you would see in the sopranos or you'd see in good godfather or goodfellas it's very odd for the joker really is odd um not that well that's how i feel anyway i'm not about you guys yeah i mean he's just a menacing crazy isn't he he's like just you know you feel when the when the security guards sat down and he, he's sort of behind him rubbing his shoulders and stuff you're thinking oh yep you're in trouble so again not that joker crazy just like i say menacing but um yeah, I mean, so he's obviously trying to find Harley, isn't he? And and again, one thing I'd say, I guess, in support of this character, which is hard for me to say, so I'm going to try and not choke on my words, but so in the animated series and in the comics, the relationship between Joker and Harley, it's a bit abusive, to be honest. Oh, it's super abusive. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a bit which, oh, what's the line? Something like... Um, Harley Quinn says something like, don't you want to ride the Harley? And yeah. 
And Joker is just so uninterested. And he just doesn't really care about it. And you can see, like, Harley's trying to get his attention all the time. Whereas here, it's a bit more of an equal relationship. And, you know, the fact that Joker's going to all these lengths to try and rescue her, I think is probably, you know, a positive thing. Now, that's probably about the only positive thing I'm going to say about Jared Leto's Joker. But that that is one thing that I thought when I was watching this. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. But yeah, he, that's true. So he ultimately, he, you know, finds out where they make these nanite bombs and he gets them to disable Harley's nanite bomb. Now, I must admit, it was only on this rewatch that I noticed that. <laughs> no one noticed that. Even, I would have to say, even <laughs> this is one of the things where I feel like the movie's just gone, they had too little time. Um, and. Yeah. So inconsistent with his own plot line uh, because when Harley gets it removed and she knows that it's been removed, a couple of scenes later, she still thinks she has it. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, like yeah. several mistakes there, storyline wise. Um, also, uh, I have to say, it's funny coming from a cosplay perspective because you analyze, you know, her costume and whatever all the time. Yeah. Um, and in every single shot, more or less, it's an inconsistency of hair being wet and dry, wet and dry. Oh, really? <laughs> like, oh, my hair was wet. Next scene, it is completely dry and curled with a curling iron. Next scene, it is straight. <laughs> they change her um, kind of her hair in every single shot. Um, so you kind of sit there and you go, Wow, I didn't know she had a hairdresser with her every day, all day on this mission. <laughs> you know what, though, Always handy. that you know what, though, that, that is. I know it sounds daft, and I'm not just trying to, you know, big you up or anything. But but from my my, my and Dave's perspective, we would never notice something like that. And that's not, not in being, a million years. That's not being disrespectful. That's just yeah, being yeah. real. Is is it's something that continuity wise is a massive problem with these sort of things because obviously you have a lot of reshoots don't you and and i think this had this had a lot of reshoots done to it it had like 20 million dollars worth of reshoots which is actually unheard of because of problems so that could be something when it was actually reshot or there were scenes added in and that could be one of the reasons as well yeah and it's and that's that's the thing i think that's exactly what what's happened here is that i just feel like this movie wasn't finished when they released it it looks unfinished some of the kind of, you know, how they move from one scene to another is super weird. The characters' motivations are very strange mm-hmm. um, and that you can come back to later. But um, especially like Diablo, who goes from one scene being, I don't want to do anything with any of you guys, to screaming, I lost one family, I'm not going to lose another. <laughs> Uh, oh you've just stolen my thunder completely there because that was so weird it's like what are you on you you just didn't want to know anyone and suddenly they're your family you're willing to die for how did that happen it only took a couple of pushes on his chest from deadshot and he was like you you want to see angry you want to see it it's like come on what is going on here i know (laughs) even i've got to call it out and i'm enjoying the film i've got to call that bit out that was proper if there was a if there was any more cheese on it it rolled itself up into a ball and just yeah, exploded <laughs> on them all it was proper cheesy wasn't it it was cringe i cringed hard um it's it's uh yeah it's hilarious uh so it's just this inconsistency <laughs> and a bit of like unprofessionalness of the movie which is really sad because it has so much potential um 
It's just finished. <laughs> I'm so glad you call that out. That was brilliant because that's the one thing I watched when I watched it this week again. I was thinking, oh my word, what is this? You know, I forgot about it. It's terrible, that scene. It's just a bit like, I feel like the producers went, guys, you have to wrap it up with a Hollywood ending. Come on, yeah. everyone's friends. Five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, <laughs> and I must admit, with El Diablo, though, as well, as you've mentioned, we might as well have a bit of a chat, is it doesn't give any attention to it. It's trying to allude to... Now, I'm a big Bruce Lee fan, right? When I was a kid, I'm a massive martial arts fan. Me and David talk about it a lot. Van Damme, you could sell me on anything. If there's a story about, um, you know, a, what's him, a guy who makes wedding cakes, but if there was a karate scene in it, I would have I would have rented that video out years ago or the DVD out. I, I was into anything to do with martial arts. But it was the fact that they were alluding to, because there's a Bruce Lee film called A Big Boss, where he wears a chain around his neck and he won't fight because he's this lethal killing machine. But he's took this oath of, I cannot fight while I've got this um, necklace on. And then all of a sudden, the necklace gets broke and he just turns into an absolute maniac, Bruce Lee, and decides to start, you know, beating everyone up because his family are all getting beat up, his cousins and that. And it felt a bit like that. I was thinking, but there was no tension to it and even with bruce lee's terrible overdubbing english it still had more tension to it than this i was like there was just nothing to it it was like you, you built this up into something with the character that he's a tortured soul he's killed his family and, and you know he can't control his rage and all this stuff and I, but I just didn't care i didn't care one bit about his character for being honest no, it's it's one of those things. It's really sad. It has, again, so much potential, cool character. Everyone loves fire powers, you know, amazing. Um, a, a guy who can, like, barbecue a whole town, great. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> no one cares, yeah. which is really sad. It's true. It's true. I mean, you, really, you should watch the 1994 Fantastic Four and watch Johnny Storm on there because he can barbecue anything. And that guy, he, he, the, the way the fire effects were, I think he had two lighters in his hands because it was terrible. But, um, but yeah, you are correct. It was just a waste of a character, such potential there. Uh, and it was just over. It was just terrible. And it, again, it, it has some beautiful visually things when he explains the backstory that unfortunately you don't care about because the character isn't established. But he has this beautiful kind of fire silhouette of his wife and he puts a, a, a glass on it and she kind mm-hmm. of dies out like visually amazing. Someone did their job. But again, you don't care. Yeah. So it's like a waste. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> We've jumped right forward there, That's but you're totally good. right. Yeah, yeah, very good. You were talking about Bruce Lee, and and uh, I, I just we were talking in the Fantastic Four, weren't we, about some of the acting not being tip top. You know, the fact that they made this movie for one million dollars, you know, sort of led to that. But I, I always think to that scene on the boat in Enter the Dragon, where he's talking to the guy who's supposed <laughs> to be from New Zealand, and yeah. it's like, "You had a finding, without finding," and he goes, and he's like. What's your style? <laughs> <laughs> and it is just the worst delivery of a line I think ever. And at some point, Chris, we, we'll we'll revisit that in a in a bonus episode. We'll your to. love of the kung fu movies does does come up again and again. It I does. Think we have to dissect a couple of these at least. We'll have to. And and also, Martin, you've got a bit of homework actually, because after you've finished with us, at some point in the next few days, if you've got time. 
can you watch the 1994 Fantastic Four? We'll send you the link. And please, our episode just before this, you've got to watch it because whatever you do in life, nothing can get as bad as watching that film because it is truly the worst thing we've ever reviewed. I'm sorry. So, Chris, we might want Martin to come back on the podcast, you know, so we can't, you know, have her not speaking to us if she, you know, you're recommending movies like that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm not. Re- I'm not recommending it. I'm just want you to watch it so you can see the hell that we all went through for an hour and a half having to, to put up with this thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so getting back on track. So, in terms of where we are in the story, we get close to this uh, spiral. You know, the Enchantress we know, but the Suicide Squad don't know. They just think it's a terror attack. We've got this uh, beam of light coming out of the out of the ground, and basically the the helicopter gets shot down. So the team are now on foot, and we get Captain Boomerang, and he's talking with Slipknot again. Another band reference there, but they're talking about you know surely the these nanites they're all okay, aren't they? You know it's all just a ruse, mate. And uh, so he convinces his <laughs> Slipknot mate, you know it's all a ruse. And, you know, they try and make a break for it. And the guy who's, you know, the troublemaker, Captain Boomerang, gets away. And, and Slipknot is our token death, you know, so that we know this is playing for real. So this character that we'd hardly seen at all, you know, suddenly dies. And again, can't help but feel, I don't really care. Yeah, he his sole existence and purpose in life is to show us uh, that they work. So yeah, yeah, if not, and continue. Absolutely, <laughs> but but also, I mean, let's be honest here. How many times in a film has this happened? I mean, the first one I can think of is a great film that I absolutely love. Is The Running Man, and then you've even had it in some recent films when it's the same. Same script, isn't it? You know, like there's something in your neck you're going to blow up. We've had it. I mean, they could have come up with something more original than that, couldn't they? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. But they get to experience these enchantress minions, don't they? You know, these people. You know, it's weird because we had initially, we had a bunch of people get strung together <laughs> in this big kind of people coal type mass but then you know it seems to be just individual minions who are attacking the suicide squad and then so we get some nice little action pieces again because these faceless minions I, I don't ever really feel like there's any danger as such but we get some nice little action sequences and again you know you've got like dead shot he's got his skills you've got el diablo I think Harley comes out quite well in this. You know, she can she can hold her own in a in a fist fight, can't she? Yeah, for sure. And but it's again, I think it is very interesting the choice of of, of people in this crew uh, because they're like, we need a super team that can fight. You know, basically alien forces, more or mm-hmm. less. That's what they need. So we're gonna have a guy who's really good at shooting things, uh, a girl with a baseball bat who's very good at acrobatics. <laughs> Uh, a guy with a boomerang that doesn't work as a boomerang, uh, more or less. Um, you know, it, and then a guy with incredible firepower, but he's sworn to not use them. Great team. Uh, I think that's going to be amazing against aliens. <laughs> yeah. so it, yeah, a borderline <laughs> Shaolin monk, you know, who yeah. you know doesn't, and and a guy, of course, who can swim very well. 
<laughs> Why do you mean it with Killer Croc? Uh, yeah, yeah, um... yeah. That was like I agree with that. I'd, I'd not really thought much about that until you said that, Martin. He's 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 quite a just a waste of a character, isn't he? The Killer Croc. It just. He has he has one of the memorable lines later on though, doesn't he? But he they make him a bit like uh since they can't do much with the character, uh they kind of make him a little bit of a comic relief, but then you already have uh Captain Boomerang being mm-hmm. the one and Harley being funny and quite a lot of people being funny. Um so they make him a bit like ghetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really weird and uh, quite offensive and, and just a bit strange. Uh, and his only purpose and sole existence, as I tell you, is when they discover that there is a flooded tunnel to the witch's lair. Yeah. I wonder who can swim that. Yeah, yeah. we need someone on the team who can swim very well. And actually, in the in the comics team, is it's King Shark, um, yeah. but here it's Killer Croc. I, I, I'm sure there's probably, if I looked on the internet, I'd find out why they made that choice. But ultimately, we need a swimmer. And so he, he tells everyone, doesn't he, you know, you guys just play in the water. I was born here, so this is my time to shine. But you don't actually, you see him dive in, but you don't particularly see anything beyond that, do you? No, and, and, and could this movie have gone by without adding in a water scene? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, water an essential plot uh, to the whole existence of the movie? Uh, no. A good point. Did you guys not pick up on the line, though, the croc said? It was almost Bane-like with the older, you know, when he says about, you know, in the light, I was born in it, you know, and all that stuff. And that when he said about the water, I was thinking, is this a nod to Bane here, the way the croc says about the water? And that was like, it just seemed like they were stealing stuff from all over the place. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think, as Martine said, I think the whole thing is choppy. Yeah. And I'm not sure there's one writer with one vision of all the characters in it. It just feels like a mishmash and, and a chopped together, fragmented movie and, and story. Um, and, and again, I, I have to say, I, I don't hate this movie. I am kind of enjoying it. But but that is the feel of it as you as you go through it. Yeah, yeah. So, but... They, so they sort of go through and they, they fight some of these minions. And again, it's just, you know, some ac- action sequences. And it turns out that this high-profile target that they've been sent in to rescue is Amanda Waller herself. And again, I actually, I, I kind of like Amanda Waller. <laughs> so she absolutely is cutthroat, isn't she? Um, you know, and again, you have to question, you've assembled this group of villains. Well, surely the biggest villain of the lot, and I include Jared Leto's Joker in this, is Amanda Waller. You know, and when they catch up with her, you know, she's she's trying to cover her tracks because ultimately she's the one who's let the cat out of the bag. She's the one who set the Enchantress off. So she kills off all of the staff, you know, to clean up the scene. And I just thought... Yeah, I, I love the actress. Love her, worships her, think she's amazing. So it's it's not it's not that. And I also love that one of the villains is a female. Great hundred points for that. Uh-huh. Um, but again, you just first of all, there are no good guys in this movie, or like, <laughs> or like there are no kind of everyone is bad. Mm-hmm. 
and every and you don't understand any of the characters kind of um what do they want what do the characters want you're a bit confused like uh, the whole thing about the witch is such a mess that whole thing just made me uh, you know, I would have been super happy watching Suicide Squad kill a lot of special agents or, you know, not necessarily dealing with the whole, like, witch power, ancient... Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so, like, messy and uh, weird, and then her brother is in it, and I'm <laughs> very confused. <laughs> and then she spends the the whole kind of last part of the movie using her powers for a reason no one knows to build a machine for something that no one <laughs> that was gets crazy gets her heart back for a reason but she's already powerful I, like it's so confusing <laughs> like it's so yeah. confusing absolutely i think i would say in terms of a good character i think the closest thing that comes to it i mean rick flag he's a bit boy scout isn't he yeah yeah. So I, I don't think he's likable. Actually, I think he, I think he was great. I don't know if you guys have ever watched Altered Carbon. Oh um, yes, um, really I, I love the love the actor. He's Swedish, uh, and uh, I've seen him in a lot of good um, kind of mob crime movies from Sweden mm-hmm. before he made an international break. And he's a fabulous actor, so I absolutely love him. Again, it's just that the character he's playing here is. It's not his fault. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just very, like I say, it's just Boy Scout, isn't he? But actually, I, w- I would probably have to say Will Smith. You know, even though he makes a living from killing people for money, you know, his his motivations seem for the right reasons, you know? Yeah. So he, he just wants to look after his daughter. He doesn't do anything particularly villainous. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I think it's a bit, you know, everyone's a bit Game of Thrones gray aren't they you know there are no good guys yeah which i usually enjoy because uh, the whole like uh, the you know the whole as much as i love star wars this is no negative to star wars because i worship the star wars universe uh, but it's like the bad guys are wearing black the good guys yeah. are wearing beige um so we know all the time who's good who's bad that kind of stuff um so i think it's refreshing when it's not set like that you know the whole game of thrones gray as you say mm-hmm. but it doesn't really work in this movie because there are no stakes like yeah you don't see what what the characters want from it um except for you know will smith's character uh more yeah. than anything and it's just very confusing like you do, yeah, as you say, you don't have any, you don't feel anything for any of the uh, the characters, uh, you know, enough to be invested in their journey. So, yeah. I think just exploring that Game of Thrones analogy a bit more, clearly we had, you know, we had seasons to get to know characters. And then at some points, you know, we start off and we think like, you know, uh, let me pick on Joffrey. You know, he's the classic prince charming isn't he he's the blonde prince charming and then actually we find out he's a horrible scumbag (laughs) so so we have seasons to to understand these characters whereas in this movie it's all just rammed down down our throats and we don't really know who's what and who to root for and who we care about and their stories just sort of motoring along I think as well, he's like, we, we've mentioned this before, Martinis. Um, when we have a film that we review and it's really strong, it's only as strong as the bad guy 
that they're going up against. So the hero can only be the superhero, the strong hero saving the world, whether it's male, female, a squad or whatever team, is if they've got a bad a good bad guy. Now, we've just finished review, myself and Dave, a couple of episodes ago, Daredevil uh, Season 3. Now, obviously, you've got 13 episodes to um, flesh out the characters, but Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, is one of the best bad guys I've ever seen in a film, TV show or anything. Obviously, we know we've got that longer to do that. These guys, to be fair, because mm. it's a motion film, I've got an hour and a half, two hours to do that. It's a hell of a thing to introduce any characters, as I mentioned before. But yeah. it doesn't feel like when you're watching this that they're really fighting against anyone or fighting for anything. It's just like it's a bit like, as you mentioned, Justice League before. Yeah. You know, you've got um, the bad guy in that stepping wolf. Nobody really cares. All I want to see is Superman be resurrected, spoiler yeah. alert, and the team to save the bacon. And that's about it. And this is what this feels like with this. This is more a case of showing that Deadshot is the best assassin and never misses a shot. You know, Killer Croc can swim and looks like a crocodile, as best we can say for him. You know, and all that sort of, like Dave said before. And I think that's the problem. It's just not. You're not invested in the bad guys getting the comeuppance. You know, it's just like you know they're going to get the comeuppance. I'm not really that on the edge of my seat thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Are we going to lose one of the team? You're just sort of running the time down to see where the film goes, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's it's not like anyone, as you say, anyone cares, and it's it's uh, it's very sad. And as you say, um, the heroes are only as good as their villains. And I think that's what in the Marvel universe now you can. There are some villains there that are a bit like, wait, like there's a lot of like alien randomness that you're yeah. a bit you don't understand. But what they did so brilliantly, in my opinion, is that the new Infinity War spoiler, everyone, if you haven't watched <laughs> it, um, is kind of from the perspective of Thanos, mm-hmm. which is it's the perspective of the villain, which is so well done. Or it would have just been another, we're fighting random alien things in space. Yeah. Which is what they did really well. But they, as you said, this all comes up to they had time. They had, um, you know, they, they established the universe, they established characters. And, you know, either DC has to kind of take their time and or they are going to, you know, force out movies like Justice League and Suicide Squad. Yeah, that's true. It feels like they have no confidence in the brand, as if they're hoping to stumble across a sort of formula that works. And at the moment, they're all over the place. Any of these team-ups, whether it's Batman v Superman, the Justice League, mm-hmm. uh, the Suicide Squad, there's just something where they're just misfiring completely at the moment. Yeah. It's interesting, just that point, uh, not to branch off too much, but Thanos in the comics is is pretty much a two-dimensional tyrant. And mm-hmm. I completely agree that again he was the he was the hero in his own story, wasn't he? He was doing it for fairly yeah. uh righteous reasons. Yeah. And so um no, I th- I think that was absolutely brilliant. And and Marvel has got some stick about some of the villains that that they're a bit you know, wishy-washy and, and forgettable, oh, yes. but uh, but they nailed it in that one. And and absolutely, as Chris says, Wilson Fisk, probably for me, the, the best villain, period. Yeah. Yes, it, it's true. I agree. And, and when we go back to Suicide Squad, if I, I've watched this movie a couple of times, 
and rewatched it recently, and I still can't tell you what the witch wants. <laughs> yeah. So I think she so she wants to just destroy everything. Yeah. Which isn't good enough for me. <laughs> like, yeah, well, which is which is a little bit Silver Age comics, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, like you say, the best villains are the ones where you go, oh, actually, yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of see yeah. that from their perspective. Yeah. And again, one of those lines about you know the the movies are only as good as the villain uh, was in uh, it was in Kingsman, wasn't it, Chris? Samuel yeah. L. Jackson said it um, as Valentine. And again, in that movie, you could kind of see he, he was pretty much doing a Thanos, to be honest, just on a yeah. for Earth, but not for the universe, uh, trying to wipe out a lot of the population. And it, it is so true. So, yeah. <laughs> I think we might as well get... Do you want, do you want, <laughs> we might as well get up to the final section if you want, Dave, because I know we... we yeah, we... so, well, I see. So, so where we are, again, we're, um, we're at the point. So they, they found Amanda Waller. She's killed off all the staff to try and cover her tracks. There's no question. She is absolutely looking out for number one. And she's absolutely ruthless. And the team take her up to the rooftop where she's going to make her escape on the helicopter. But hey, presto, we have Jared Leto's Joker there. And he's in the uh, helicopter. And, you know, they start opening fire on the on the squad. And that's where we get this slow-mo cinematic uh, scene where you know the bullets are flying past. I don't know if it was chemistry or kind of tension that there was definitely a playoff. Will Smith and Margot Robbie's characters wasn't there, but she but does that go from the comics. Actually, I just didn't. I didn't know if they were going to hint it in the movie. As you say now, I, I remember uh, in Suicide Squad comics there are some things with um, with uh, Deadshot and Harley. Uh, see, I didn't know that. I've not again. I'm showing myself up as a Marvel guy here. So, yeah. so there is a bit of a a, a background there, is there? there? There is, yeah. In in some of the comics, and that's the thing about Harley. She always ends up going back to the Joker, but she lashes out and having like little bit of flings here and there with different characters. Uh, so like Nightwing or sometimes even a bit with Batman, not not from his side, <laughs> but <laughs> from her side. Um, and recently, which we can discuss later, with Poison Ivy. Um, so, you know, she, she does those kind of things, but she ends up back with the Joker. So I think they, I don't know if they're going to do it in the sequel at all, but they might have hinted to the comics or they might have just been lucky. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, well, let's give him the benefits of the doubt and, yeah, and say sure. that it was, it was all inspired from the comics. But <laughs> yeah. she, she she ends up getting onto the onto the helicopter. Amanda wants her to to basically have her head blown off, and and we find out that you know doesn't work. So she asks Deadshot to take the shot, and although he never misses, he kind of uh, he he intentionally misses, and then we get that. Slight tension for about two seconds where we think, again, just a little bit weird. So Deadshot takes a shot, and then Harley drops as if she's been shot, and then pops up, no, no, I haven't been shot. And he's like, I don't know why you were doing that. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, they end up taking down the helicopter in the end, don't they? And and Harley actually falls out, and, uh, and at this point we're thinking, oh, Joker's dead. Hooray! 
but, but then that's because Harley doesn't know a very good fact about this movie. The safest place to be in Suicide Squad is in a helicopter. Because <laughs> no one dies in any of the helicopter crashes, and I think there are three. So she should have known it is the safest place to be in this movie in a helicopter crash. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so so she's fine. Um, Amanda Waller, she gets captured, doesn't she, by the Enchantress's minions, and they sort of take her off back, and then it all kind of unravels a bit. So the team actually find out, you know, that actually Amanda Waller is behind this whole Enchantress thing, and then they... You know, Rick Flagg, he's getting a bit, you know, disillusioned with it as well. And and basically, they all kind of disband and, and then they go down the pub. Yeah. As you do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all all the mayhem's happening and, and hit the bar. I, you know, I can get behind that. Well, <laughs> this is a weird choice for a Harley character-wise, I just have to say it. Um, She has lost the Joker, so she's completely free and alone. She doesn't have the thing in her neck anymore. Mm-hmm. And there, or Amanda is, as they think, gone. So what does she do? And she's free, basically. Mm-hmm. So she could run off. She could go. She could take a car and hijack a car and, and, and start her own life or, or call up her old friends. Or But instead, she just goes back with the team to kind of continue on this mission that they're not actually longer on like it's it's weird i mean i guess if she's like super lonely maybe that's that might be her her decision for it but she's technically free i uh, you know i'm not gonna try and psychoanalyze it but (laughs) she again the way more she is in i think in the comics you know and and again going back to the animated series you know the abuse that she gets from the joker you kind of have to think there's something wrong there so she she must feel the need to be with someone yeah otherwise she would absolutely just say what what are you doing (laughs) you know i'm off you know, I don't need to put up with this. And that's so, what it is with her as well, because she, in in all of her comics, she's never alone. Yeah, and so I just, I just wonder, you know, even though she potentially has this freedom, yeah, and even though, you know, why would you want to go back to, you know, go back to the Avengers, go back to the Justice League, don't go back to the Suicide Squad. <laughs> the team that has existed for four hours exactly yeah but they are a family as we'll find out in a bit Uh, (laughs) very good day very good but she also she not only does that i mean we we get again slightly lecherous scene where you know she she pinches a handbag and you know she gets a line you know we're bad guys which, which i think was a good line to be fair but then she does, you know, again, she assumes the role of serving everyone drinks at the bar, doesn't she? Yeah, I find that a strange as well. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's uh, maybe as you say, she just she is so afraid of being alone. So yeah. that, that is, a, you know, something that I think the character would do. It's just a bit interesting. But also, the, as you say, guys, the whole bar scene is so absurd. It's <laughs> It's really, it's really um, out of place, isn't it? Because obviously, Rick Flag then spills it all to Deadshot that he had all the information and his letters to his daughter and everything, doesn't he? And you, you yeah. sort of thinking, well, Deadshot's gonna 
go off on one and go off on his own now, isn't he? And, and no, he doesn't. He decides they're going to go and get the Enchantress, but it wasn't the Enchantress who was hiding his personal information. It yeah. was Waller, wasn't it? Which is just bizarre. It was like, you know, A plus B equals 27. It, it just <laughs> it just didn't make sense. Look, your daughter's been writing to you every day. Right, brilliant. Let's go kill the Enchantress. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he also, Rick, he smashes the device, so they're all free yeah. like when they sit in the bar. They're all free. Yeah. And, and because they've been very close friends for four hours, um, they've now <laughs> all of their actual um, goals in life to join on a little team adventure to save this girl who they don't know, who's like the love interest of a guy they've hated until one second ago. Yeah. So it's so strange. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's like being on a training course with work in it and you have to function with four people that you don't like. And at the end of it, you think, I'll never see you again, thank God. You know, but and then but these guys are set up for life now. They're friends, they're Facebook friends and everything now. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's... they're all suffering the Stockholm Syndrome really quickly. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was also a joke, him being Swedish. Um... Very good, yeah. very good, yeah. Okay, very good. I like, like, like what you did there. <laughs> I, I do have to say, one of my favourite little, little lines is you know where harley's saying you know we're all beautiful on the outside you know except him you know <laughs> he's he's ugly on the outside and he's like no i'm beautiful and she's yeah. like yeah you are <laughs> it is so i did cool. like that and uh, she's she's incredibly clever and this is a sidetrack i think but my favorite harley moment in the in the movie is when they roll them out to get their stuff and I, I, this cannot have been scripted. I feel like this is just Margot being her. And she's in the chair. They're all like kind of the wheelchair. She goes, wee! Yeah. <laughs> and that's I mean, such a character choice. Like, I, it's so strong. Well, she she is just a phenomenal actor, actress, isn't she? I mean, you know, the amount of varied roles. And I, I think the first thing I saw her in was Wolf of Wall Street. Thanks. And I think the accent, you know, the, the, that East Coast accent that she'd pulled off there probably had a lot to do with her getting this role. Um, but the amount of varied roles that she does do, you know, she just is pretty impressive, to be honest. It's, it's just one of those, and that's also probably a side jog of just talking about how much I love Margot Robbie. But, um, you know, she's such a beautiful, like, aesthetically beautiful woman, right? So very easily she could have just been casted again and again and again and again in, like, the beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. You no, know, in every part but she takes on different parts she decides completely different things for herself yeah it's so strong and just being her in wolf of wall street i think she's 26 that's i am 26 um so at this point she you know in her life she stood opposite leo and you know screamed at him in scenes where she's on the same level and i think it's so impressive and you know, she, as I say, she decides great parts for herself, and now she's going to play Queen Elizabeth. Um, you know, I, I just think she's so brave uh, and bold, and you know, she's great. So that was just a little praise to Margaret Robbie. <laughs> That's all right. That's quite all right, and I, I 100% agree with all of that. Me too. 
So, so we get to our finale, don't we? So the big showdown, our rocky moment. Um, you know, again, this this weirdness with Deadshot, where he's just decided uh, that he's going to go and and finish the mission, and everyone's just decided to join him because they've got nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, this is where. So we we alluded it to it before, didn't we? So I think is it is it now where we get the you know they're going to take out the enchantress and and she put she plants these visions in their heads and they're all kind of imagining how you know their perfect lives would be and uh again uh, you know so harley's there she's married she's not got the makeup on she's there with the joker you know Mm -hmm. they've got a little kid there um you know, and it's it's actually El Diablo, isn't it, who who snaps up and says, you know, it's not real, it's not real. And uh these guys are my family. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's that's true. But again, um the big question is always why does the witch do that? Uh what what is that good for? Uh, I guess she wants them to join her side, but she doesn't. She wants to just kill everyone. Um she just wants to destroy everyone. So I guess she can easily do that because her brother seems pretty powerful behind her there, killing quite a lot of people really fast. So it's, you know, it's a beautiful idea. And I do really enjoyed the flashback with Harley there, but it's out of place <laughs> once again. Like He's also old, old Incubus there. Yeah. He's hanging in, he's hiding behind the curtain, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so he's not there at all until it's very cinematic for him to suddenly appear. Yeah. And I just thought, again, the the two of them, Incubus and Enchantress, they're so powerful. Why would they care about, like say, you know, someone turning up, you know, is pretty good, pretty accurate with a gun uh, and a baseball bat, someone yeah. who can swim really well. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really add up why he'd be hiding away in the background there until old El Diablo decides to, to step up, snap everyone out of it. And then suddenly, you know, he hulks out essentially. Yeah. And then, uh, just so happens to be the same height and size as, as, uh, as Incubus. So they can have a bit of a, uh, a Godzilla type showdown there. Yep. And then again, you know, he, he wants to protect his family and everyone else is caring about him as well. So they can blow up, you know, Killer Croc, he's gone in and, you know, delivered this bomb right under it where Incubus is and where it needs to be. And El Diablo is going to sacrifice himself. And everyone's like, oh, no, don't do it. And then they make the tough call and it's like, all right, OK, so he's gone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and also it's very interesting to think in this whole scene where all this happens, uh, Katana is there, just to like, you know, she, I think she is in the scenes. Sort of filing her nails with a samurai <laughs> sword. Doing what? <laughs> like, you know, like, it's so confusing. <laughs> yeah, she's just there for absolutely no reason at all. Um, just make it to the pub either, Katana, I think. I don't know if she made it to the pub. she did she she? that's a you know what i hadn't noticed that but she might have been sat outside she might have abstained from drinking or something but uh maybe (laughs) bizarre but then so they've taken down incubus and then you know we get this i i I don't know probably martin you 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 won't remember this but you so guns and roses were massive in the 80s right 
And Axel Rose, he's a bit bigger these days, but at the time he used to go around in these little tight white cycling shorts, which were very inappropriate, even in the 80s. And he used to do this weird dancing. And basically the Enchantress is doing the same kind of weird dancing (laughs) (laughs) that Axel Rose from the 80s was doing. And it's just... I can see that. I see that, Link. Yeah, it's just utterly bizarre. And again, I've honestly, you know... This actress, she's very pretty, or you know, she's a model originally, isn't she? She's done plenty of things. I've just never seen anything that I like her in, and yeah. I just, yeah, this one is absolutely one of those that I just don't like her in this. But I do think, um, yeah, that's what you say there. She's a model, and 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 I'm not saying that you can't go from one thing and become another because, of course, you can. Uh, but she's not a very strong actor. Um, and it is i would have to say it is very hard to play parts like you know super crazy alien uh, witch women uh, (laughs) that are super cgi and you you know you don't have any of your things with you you just stand there in a green costume and waiting for everything to be added after you like it's 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 hard to play but then again look at for instance i don't know if you've seen it but thor ragnarok you know where you have um, Kate Blanchett being hella, which mm-hmm. is absolutely outstanding. She's so good. Yeah. You know? So if you are a great actor, you can, you can make it work, even if you have to play a part that is quite hard to play. Yeah, um, and and yeah, you know, obviously, you know, if it was. Let's say if it was me or Chris, certainly, and you shoved a camera in our face, we we would be absolutely a million times worse than what she is. And and Kate Blanchett, absolute movie royalty, isn't she? So yeah. she's so brilliant in everything that she does. So it's probably you know unfair of us to say, well, if you're not that good, you you're just not good at all. But um, she she does probably need to invest in acting <laughs> lessons, you know, yeah, to be yeah, slightly maybe. unkind. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say. And also, you know, I'm not the person to talk. I've invested in quite a lot of acting lessons in my life. And, uh, you know, I've not made it anywhere so far. You know, she's made it further than me. Um, So I can't really sit here and like shame it all. But I just think it's a lot to do with she's a famous person. They kind of needed a name in mm-hmm. there you know don't really care about if she's an actor or not you know it's it's a shame for her and for the audience yeah because I, I think as well though she, she's just as we mentioned before she's just a plot device yeah uh, and it's a weak plot device isn't it you know like you say we're, we're at this section now where you know the croc um Harley sort of comes face to face with her, doesn't she? And and Fane's sort of taking up her offer, but she cuts her heart out, doesn't she? Which sort of weakens her because we know the heart's like her main thing, which is what Waller had sort of packed up and all that. But again, it's just like it's really weak. You you know that they're going to come out on top, don't you? There's no threat to the team. I know we lost that guy earlier on, but that was more of you know just to say like you know there is a bomb there, as we said, and and. I think the best bits of the film are behind us now, and it, and it's you're at that stage where it's like, do I actually care what's going to happen? You know, it's 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 a really bizarre sequence for me. Do you not think it's weird as well? They've rushed through all of the story and the narrative, and then at this bit, there is so much slow motion. 
And especially when Dead's got some action shooting. Slow motion. And it's like, oh, come on. Just use it, you know, in the right moments. But it just goes on and on. And you've got the theatrical music. And it's, oh, come on. I don't care. It's really (laughs) weird. And also they end up having like a fist fight with the witch, which is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. She, it's because they're all not like they, none of them can fly and none of them have like magical powers. So, of course, they have to take her down to kind of their level. There wouldn't be a fighting scene. Um, but it's again like this super powerful witch woman who's had these crazy powers the whole time. And now we're going to do a little bit of a fist fight sequence, um, which makes very little sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does because you've got Deadshot and he must actually go through his whole lifetime cycle. What is he, about 45 in this? There must be literally, it's all crushed into sort of this slow-mo, which in real time is in about three seconds. But what must go through these guys' minds in them three seconds to slow it down is unbelievable. And uh, I'm just like, just get on with it. We know you're going to shoot that bomb. You know what I mean? It's been offered up by the croc. Just shoot her and let's all go home. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. even, I think even that the actors and actresses were sort of thinking, right, come on now, let's wrap it up. And obviously, Rick, it's his love of his life. Rick crushes the enchanter's heart, doesn't he? But um, luckily, as he walks off, we get a bit of uh, Will Smith doing as Will Smith says. He says something like, uh, "Hey, Flash," or whatever he says to him, you know. And he turns round and. She then pulls off the skin of the Enchantress, doesn't she? June is alive, his love, and we get the kissing scene. But that's not really delivered in a way where you, you, you're like, oh, that's great. That's really lovely. Or, it, you know, it gets your, your heart going. It's just sort of like, oh, she's alive. That's it. You know, it's, it's not delivered in any way that I'm emotionally attached to what's happened. There's also, just for misogyny... <laughs> Um, I, I don't normally watch movies and call out all the bad things, but there is one scene in this right before the witch uh, with the Will Smith and and or like the flag character. I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, and there's something I, I don't remember, but I remember being like, "Why is that scene there?" Or like, "Why why is he saying that?" And he he says something like, "Oh, is that your girl?" And he's like, "Yeah." Well, you know, you need to control her. She needs some, some like spanking or like some some kind of words like that. And I just kind of go need to go up and give her a slap on the arse. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of just go, why is that in there? Like that is so ridiculous. Who green lighted that writing? Yeah. Like it's 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 not even a thing. Like first of all, that is a ridiculous thing to say to a clearly very old, powerful, ancient witch woman. Who is destroying <laughs> yeah. everyone at the moment? Um, you know, I get that they was trying to make a joke there, like a relationship joke. You know, yeah, um, and and I don't think it was, like, you know, a way like, oh, is that your girl? Like she looks upset. You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like if they wanted to make like this like dorky comment, but instead it's so like sexist and terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't think it was, it wasn't in fitting with the character that no. we learned about through the movie you know held his daughter up on a pedestal and seemed to be doing all the right things and it it just i agree it it jarred with me and it was one of the things um before you joined the call i'd mentioned to to chris as well that was just a a weird weird line yeah and it's not befitting with will smith really it's not sometimes you think he he would even green light um but yeah you know We've got June back. We're in the sort of closing sections, and Waller, who's got more lives than a cat, emerges alive and well. 
But what I found really bizarre, guys, and I've got to call out on this is, you know, Boomerang goes on the fact that he's got three life sentences. So she kindly takes 10 years off one of his sentences. So basically, he's never getting out of prison. So this whole thing that they've done and they've saved the world, allegedly, um, they've just got 10 years off a sentence that they were never going to get out of jail for anyway. And that just sort of didn't make any sense to me. The only sense it made to me was sequel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just bizarre. It was a strange thing to do. It was like, I know it's trying to validate Waller as a absolute horrible, but it just, it was just pretty poor. It was pretty weak. Yeah. And, and you know, I know we get Floyd um, with his daughter and he's in this house. And obviously then you get the fact that the, you think he's, he's out, but he's not, he's on like a bit of a visit. and. Uh, that's a strong scene. Yeah. I do like yeah. that scene, one of my favourite bits of the movie. Yeah, it is, because Flag stops them guys from chaining him up, doesn't he? He sort of like says to leave him, you know. he's, he's And that, like you say, if there was that sort of um, acting and validity and writing in the, the rest of the film, it would be very strong. But it's a case of you going back to jail. Um, and, and then, obviously, we get... Harley's, you know, in a um, prison and we get a, a load of guards come in and just attack it. the other guards, which you pretty much know before this has even happened, it's going to be the Joker. Yep. Um, and he comes in, you know, she says pudding and we all go off into the sunset into a, what could be a sequel, I think. Yep. Um, predictable ending, I think, just a little end section, but also it validates Harley as a, for a potential um, origins film as well. Yeah. What yourself, Dave? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably, I probably didn't see the prison breakout scene coming, and that's just because, again, I, I know I've said it before, sound like a broken record. Just hated that version of the Joker. So when he, when the helicopter went down, I thought yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was quite glad that. I mean, I, I guess for a second I didn't think he was actually dead, but I thought for this story he would at least not appear again. So yeah. it was a little bit strange to to finish with that kind of prison breakout because it's not it's not really it's not like a cliffhanger, is it? It's just kind of okay. So is that? going to happen in the sequel but even if she was in prison we we knew she'd be in a sequel so i I was just a bit confused by it but uh yeah i mean that's that's pretty much the end of the movie isn't it yeah yeah i mean we get the the credits roll we do get a mid-credits um scene we get waller sat there in a sort of bistro cafe type situation and she sat with good old bruce wayne um who, you know, he sort of protects, uh, protect, says he's going to protect her from the Enchantress's rampage, but the, obviously the Enchantress is dead, isn't she? So um, I, I didn't really quite get that. And then um, he wants the file of um, the metahuman community, which we then go through the Justice League, basically, don't we? So he, yeah. he goes through that, he gets up and he just says to her, you need to shut down Task Force X or his friends will do it, which sort of supposedly puts a full stop on the on the suicide squad for now mm. it's leading to the justice league but i don't know whether and i know dc aren't really into the end or mid credit thing like marvel are but it wasn't really a necessary um scene really i don't know about you what you guys thought i just didn't i just thought it was a case of just filling out the credits to put something in there to match a bit of what marvel do i thought it was completely unnecessary <laughs> 
it's nothing that you know it's not like when I watched Justice League there was nothing that I needed Suicide Squad for to be able to watch that movie yeah so it's not like you know that end credit is is nothing that I needed at all so I think as you say there you know it's that whole thing of copying something that is already very successful which is the whole easter egg of marvel you know you, mm-hmm. that's a thing they made for themselves um it was yeah completely useless i even think the first time i watched the movie i left before this scene <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i had to go back online when people said oh by the way there was like a you know mid credit scene and i was like oh really and then i watched it and i was like uh, okay <laughs> Great. You could spend 10 minutes watching the Ant-Man uh, v. Wasp credits and just see an ant play the drums, so it could have been worse. Uh, that, spoiler yeah. alert, because that was an absolute atrocious abomination. And, mm. and even watching, uh, what did I watch the other day? Um, Venom. I won't say dingy, but the second end credits, they're not really anything <laughs> to write home about either. No. I, I have to say, it smacked to me of, you know, again, the people over at Warner Brothers just going, hey, Marvel are, are doing these end credits or mid credits. People really like them. Let's do one. And people are like, okay, b- b- what do we do? Okay, yeah. the next movie is just to see, well, just get them to talk about something. And it just seemed really forced. Yeah. Um, and and I do love the end credit scenes. And that, <laughs> for different reasons, usually there's one that is some kind of clue to what's happening next. But I think my favorite one is where they play with the audience a bit. And I can't remember which movie. It may have been Thor Ragnarok, where the very last one, oh no, it, I think it was Spider Man Homecoming, where the very last one is basically Captain America. And he says, Have you ever been waiting around for something and just waiting there, waiting there and being patient? And then nothing happens. <laughs> he just walks yeah, off the screen. That's hilarious. That's so good. So I think that was my favourite, just playing fun with the with the audience there. No, good stuff. Now, I think it's time to go into the review scores, guys. Yeah. Let's go. We're at the reviewing stage now, Martin. What we'll do is I'll give you a quick rundown of our review scores. Um, And then we'll let you go first as the guest of what you think and where you feel the Suicide Squad fits within our, you know, uh, score system. So if the film is top of the tree, fantastic, it's an Asgard. With Dave's tremendous impression, it fits quite well earlier on with the review, um, the iTunes review. Um, If you think it's not as good, but it's still a great film, it's an Atlantis. Middle of the road is Halls of Justice. A bit of a turkey, but not as bad as um, some things. We've got uh, Hell's Kitchen. And then if it's an absolute joke of a film, i.e. the Fantastic Four 1994 uh, from last week, it is going to the Phantom Zone. So there are the five options, if that makes sense. Oh, that uh, is a bit hard. Uh, But uh, the only reason why I'm not pulling this straight into the Phantom Zone... (laughs) is because it has good potential and good actors. Uh, so I'm going to say A Hell's Kitchen. Very good, very, very good. good. How about yourself, Dave? 
Yeah, so I think I would say again, I kind of enjoy this movie. I, I enjoyed it the first time. Even on the rewatch, I, I enjoyed it then. I think I was expecting a little bit more. Again, you know, I, I comics-wise, I'm much more into the Thunderbolt side of things. I do like that idea that these kind of career criminals are basically forced into doing good things, and then you've always got that undertone. I really like that dynamic that you get with that in, in the stories. But it just technically as a movie it just felt all fragmented messy you you definitely you know you get more screen time and you feel more of a connection with the deadshot and harley quinn characters and and you do definitely warm towards those i think will smith he's, he's not been in too many things of in recent years and and again it was good to see him and and again you know he's been around forever hasn't he but you know, you just see him on screen and you think, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. And so I'm going to go absolutely middle of the road. I, I'll agree. It absolutely had a lot more potential than it delivered. This had the potential to go straight up to Asgard. But just because of all those problems, it was just it's fallen down for me. And it is middle of the road. So if you haven't watched it and for some reason just uh, working your way through our podcast and have listened to this, I would say definitely go and watch it. It is very, very watchable, uh, but there are a lot of issues in it. And uh, Jared Leto may be disappointed that uh, a lot of his scenes were cut out, but I'm not one of those people. <laughs> so that's uh, a Halls of Justice, is it, Dave? A Hall of Justice, yeah. Good stuff. For myself, I am pretty much where you are, actually, Dave. Um, I have got this film on sort of um, Blu-ray. I've got it on my Sky uh, planner when we got a free film last year actually i decided to download this and keep so it's always going to be there forever in a day and i must admit i've watched it about four times now and i think there are scenes in it which are fantastic i love the scene when floyd gets given the gun in the prison i know we didn't really mention that but i love that scene when he pulls the gun on that horrible guard and then as soon as he smells the gunpowder, he just starts destroying all the heads, you know, the, the targets mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that, I think the scenes with Harley as well, uh, with the baseball bats and, and think individually, there's some fantastic scenes. I know we didn't allude to them in the, in the um, review because obviously so much going on, but there is such good things and there's so much potential in them two characters. And to be fair, they saved the film for me because no one else I care about. I don't care about anybody else within the film. Um, even the cameo from Batman and the Flash and that, I'm not really that bothered about. Uh, because to be fair, the marketing showed it as if Batman was in it quite a lot and you saw the Joker's car and all that. And basically they're throwaway scenes where the Joker's car gets destroyed pretty much straight away. Um, it sort of ruined the, 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 the advertising, the marketing of the film really. It's a bit of a uh, false advertising. But for me, again, I'm going Halls of Justice because... It's not a bad film. It's certainly not a good film. It's just a watchable Sunday afternoon. Get some popcorn, get a brew on, and you can watch it. That's where you are for me. Very good, very good. Now, let's have some shameful plugs. So, Martine, where can people get hold of you on the interwebs? <laughs> well, I actually only have a Instagram account. So it's very easy. It's only on Instagram. Um, and it's uh, Marty Quinn. <laughs> very cleverly done of my own name and, of course, Harley Quinn. So if you go on Instagram and you 
right marty underscore quinn uh, you can see my account so yeah follow me and i will follow you <laughs> <laughs> good stuff <laughs> fantastic and we'll we'll have that link in the in the show notes as well and what about you you've you've alluded to to your acting career so so what what kind of things have you got going on there uh, well, I um, I, I moved to England three years ago, and I have a master's of musical theater, basically from from a school over here. Um, so <laughs> that is my profession. So I'm doing different things in in London, and you know, I've traveled a bit around um, the world and done different acting things. But I'm doing a, a, a Christmas show now coming up in December of the Snow Queen. Uh, so I'm gonna. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do right now. So you never know with acting. It takes you anywhere. And, and I'm trying to adapt more from from theater now and into more screen. Uh, but it's a rough and tough industry. Um, so it's, I'm just trying to kind of hold on with that. And I think actually for my Harlequin um, cosplay, and that is it's so much my hobby because I'm so passionate about all of that. So it's so such a relief actually to have that escape from from reality. Um, that you can go to a convention and people think you look great and they think you did a great job, uh, which is very different from the acting world where a lot of people <laughs> tell you the opposite. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fairly brutal uh, existence, actually, isn't it? I mean, so so is it more the stage that you focus on at the moment? Um, at the moment, that's, that's what I've, I'm doing because I'm originally, um, I, I come from a singing background, so... Um, I'm originally a trained singer, and and that's how I kind of adapted into the musical theater world. <laughs> cool. Um. So so yeah, I don't know where where the you know the future is going to take me and and what I'm going to do, but I do a little bit of everything because I get easily bored, and then yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's me. Awesome. Great stuff. Awesome. Well, keep us informed. You know, if you got stuff coming on, and uh, I would certainly plug away. So, Chris. <laughs> Have you got any other plugs for us? Yeah, we've got uh, mine, your and Ben's football podcast, Chat Footy. So if you listen or you're a fan of Manchester United or Liverpool or the Premiership in general, we do allude to that. Um, I'm not going to lie, we have got our own team biases and uh, we have a nice bit of abuse and stick against each other and we try and throw a few jokes in there. Uh, get over to at Chat Footy on Twitter or on iTunes, it's the Chat Footy Podcast. So get over there, guys. Um, we're currently running at about 24, 25 episodes. It's building by the week. And depends how long I can stomach the mess that is Manchester United. And Dave absolutely is loving it. So <laughs> fantastic. What about yourself, Dave? You know, for the last 30 years, Man United have been killing it. We start up a footy podcast and they've been awful. So I, I'm just loving it. You know, especially I'd lived in Manchester for 10 years and suffered nothing but abuse as being a Liverpool fan. So this is payback. Yeah, <laughs> true. And pretty much most of it was off me, Dave, now and again, wasn't yeah. it? Well, yeah. <laughs> So another podcast you can listen to if you want to hear about youth football or soccer coaching. That's where myself and Ben, we talk about all the trials and tribulations about coaching at grassroots, at the grassroots level. And so we kind of talk about all the experiences, both good and bad. And hopefully, you know, talking about our experiences will help other people out there who are coaching. We obviously focus on the football side of things, but ultimately we're coaching little people. So, you know, it's just about how we handle different situations like that and, you know, how we can improve and how we try and, and get these little people to improve. 
So, Martin, it has been fantastic to have you on the show. I really want to thank you for taking out the time and helping us understand a bit about that cosplaying world and also giving us your perspective on the on the Suicide Squad as well. The final thing I'm going to just say to lead us out is, Chris, what are you going to say to finish off the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> The Suicide Squad is the film we never asked for, we never wanted, but by God, we've had to watch it. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not. It's no fun when you've got something prepared. Move the restraints. Was this a champion trials? The rocket seemed to move. the shot. Turn on for the record. This is exactly what I was concerned about. What's for dinner? Ames, if this man shoots me, I want you to kill him. And I want you to go clear my browser history. I know you can't do it. Hey guys, I'm back. I missed you all so much. Except for him. He's ugly on the outside too.